So often, while we are doing pro-life outreach, we interact with those who are unwilling to make sacrifices for others. And what we find is that this is because they've never had anyone in their lives who are willing to make sacrifices for them. We're going to talk about that based on a conversation that we recently had. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. And with me again is my good friend and wonderful co-host, Cam. Cam, you are at the beginning of an internship right now as we speak. Um, How's it going? Yeah, it is one of the most wonderful times of the year in the CCBR office. At the time of recording, um, this is the first week of the internship. Yesterday, we went out for our first round of activism. We did some door knocking. We got our first testimony done um, with brand new intern, Caitlin. Um, she and I were at a door and we talked to somebody who was personally pro-life, but could totally understand why people would have abortions and other scenarios. By the end of the conversation, she not only agreed with us, but also she signed up to get a one-on-one -on -one training workshop. And so that was pretty snazzy. And we're fired up where the goal for the internship is to get over 500 people become fully pro-life within the span of a conversation. Um, and we are on the way. We have ticked off at least the first one. I, I don't know if there was any other testimonies um, from yesterday. I think there probably were at least a few that I, I missed in conversation, but life is good. You got interns out there as well. You met them this week. How? What's the prospect in, in Toronto? We got a good team out there? We do. From the few hours that I spent with them and the conversations that I had, we certainly do have a good team. I don't know if they've done any outreach at this point yet, but uh, I am looking forward to it. I know that our, our staff team and uh, a group of team leaders are really looking forward to it as well. And um, yeah, just some 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 great excitement coming from the Toronto offices. Um, so good to hear about your office as well and the testimony. And uh, I, I think I think before we dive in, Cam, one of the things to highlight, and I, I it's like beating a dead horse. You know, uh, we talk about this very, very regularly, but it's one of those things that you mentioned Caitlin, she goes out, she has a conversation, someone changes their mind. Now, you have more than one intern. And so some of the interns didn't change their minds. But the fact that she was able to have likely a day of training, uh, or half a day of training on Monday, a little bit of training on Tuesday, and then go to the streets, have a conversation and someone changed their mind, really goes to show that you don't need to be a professional having at least 10 years of experience before you know you have what it takes to engage with someone effectively, you can have a few hours of, of apologetics training, um, apologetics training that Cam you provide not only by going to churches and youth groups in various places, but you also have a course with a pro-life guy. So I think um, if anyone wants to be like Caitlin, then uh, listen up because Cam has some information on a course that's upcoming. Yeah, sure do. So this is going to be different from the course that I ran last year. This is going to be a three-week course on how to improve your conversations on abortion. So this isn't going to be the ground up. This isn't going to be the foundations. If you've never had a conversation before, then stay tuned. There'll be other courses for you towards the end of the summer that I'll be offering as well. But this is geared towards people who are already at some level having conversations about abortion um, and want to take those conversations to the next level. Maybe you've hit that kind of introductory plateau where you you're walking through common ground analogy question, you're using the human rights argument, you're seeing people change their mind, but you want more people changing their mind. You want to be able to use better analogies. You want to ask better questions. You want to be able to um, have your body language and delivery really resonate with all sorts of different people that you're talking to. You want to be able to engage on more um, kind of personal conversations for people who have had abortions. This is going to happen. Um, 
the first three weeks, I believe, let me pull up my calendar, first three weeks of June, maybe the last week of May, go to the website, you'll find it on the website, whatever the dates are. Um, It's a three-week course on Saturdays, um, Saturday afternoons, Eastern time, and you can come with your questions. I'll be offering like a short 20, maybe 30-minute thought, insight into several different topics. You can find info on the website for what those topics are, and then you've got an opportunity to ask whatever questions, whatever experiences you've had, and I will do my best to help you untangle how that conversation may have been able to go a little bit smoother, may have been able to draw that person a little bit closer or all the way to the pro-life worldview. So check out prolifeguys.com, find the course on there and sign up. It's 25 bucks. All the money goes towards um, growing the podcast and helping us reach people on street corners and on doorsteps. Love it. I also put the link in the show notes so you can check it out there. All right, Cam, this conversation that we're going to be having today is based on a conversation that you recently had. Now, um, just to give a, a bit of a summary on some of the things that I think we even mentioned last episode, but we've talked about a lot, um, but is really good to remember is how we shape and frame our conversations. When someone brings up uh, a justification for abortion, whatever it might be, it could be a, a very challenging and difficult one. It could be one, um, yeah, that just seems way more straightforward. Um, what we want to do is find common ground with them. What we want to do is recognize as pro-lifers that the the reason behind their justification is likely a very legitimate one. Financial insecurity is a legitimate reason that causes a lot of stress in a tremendous amount of people. Um, and so what we want to do is, is try to find what we can agree with and say something like, I agree with you that it would be extremely difficult to even think about having a child when you don't even have uh, the, the necessary finances to support yourself. And then we move to an analogy, Cam, where we... Um, we, we try to compare the uh, the situation they bring forward with a born child. We call it trot out the toddler, or uh, I know there's been some other uh, good ones as well with some great alliteration. Um, but it, it's where we say, let me, let me share with you an analogy. Let's say uh, a woman is in fantastic financial situation. She gives birth to her child, and then life just falls apart after that. She loses her job, maybe her partner, um, and uh, whatever else she might lose, she just is thrown into... A very challenging financial mess. Should she be allowed? We go to the question. Should we be allowed to allow her to end the life of her child because she's in that situation? And the answer obviously is no. I don't know of anyone who would say yes. I know there are some fourth year philosophy students on very secular universities who would challenge whether anything exists, uh, including human rights. But most people uh, with a sane mind and, and some sort of common decency would say that, yeah, absolutely, we should not be allowed to end the life of that child. And then we ask the follow-up question, if we wouldn't be allowed to end the life of that child because her mom is in a very difficult financial situation, why should we be allowed to end the life of the very same child for the very same reason just before birth? And so this is where we use common ground analogy question, and it's it's aimed at building a bridge between us and the person we're talking to, to take away any hostility that might be there to, to tear down any walls that might be perceived or present in the conversation and certainly in the worldview um, and to have that good conversation. Ken, we've talked about the human rights argument at length as well. Um, and I know you have one that you think is far superior than the version that we use here in the, in the East. 
Um, so maybe if you could just highlight what the human rights argument is for our listeners as well. There's lots of different ways that you can say it. The four questions that I generally ask are, can we agree that all humans should get human rights? Question two, if something is growing, even from one cell to two cell to four cell, couldn't we agree that it must be alive? Question three, if that living organism, no matter how small they are, has human parents, isn't he or she a living human? Question four, doesn't that make abortion a human rights violation? That's the progression that I walk through. I think that it makes sense in my mind. If you find something that makes more sense in your mind, if it works on the street, if it changes minds, if it saves lives, if it transforms culture, then I am happy to get behind it. Um, but that's the way that I, I have found to work the most efficiently, really anchoring in on the question of are preborn children human? And do all humans get human rights? I think that's the, the really core of the abortion conversation. Um, and that, that's how I generally flow it out. Perfect. And then we get to the third one, Cam, that we've talked about at length as well. And that is the, the human plus X concept where people say, you know, these preborn children can get human rights once they've received sentience. Now, what, what does it mean to receive sentience is a whole other conversation. It's not like there's no sentience and then God, you know, takes sentience and inserts it into the child um, or receives a heartbeat or is born or, or certain stages. So you need to be human plus have gone through a particular development stage or gone through a particular point in your life. And what we've done, Cam, um, that's worked with us, that's been effective with our conversations, is point to some of the injustices of the past where you needed to be human plus have a particular color of skin. You needed to be human plus, um, you name it, my mind is blanking right now, but a lot of injustices, people were recognized as human, but they weren't, let's say, fully persons uh, who should be protected under the law. And that's what we're seeing here with preborn children as well. Now, Kim, I, I want to provide the context a, a little bit for the conversation that we're going to have today in terms of um, the, the conversation that you had and some of the reflection that you did on that conversation. Now, we had Josh Brom from the Equal Rights Institute on, I don't think on the podcast. Do we have him on the podcast as well? I think we had him no. on the podcast as well. If, if no. we haven't, we're going to. I, I've, so I've been on his <laughs> podcast. Um, That's right. And I think and, that he's been on our podcast, but he also was part of our, our quarterly roundtable back in January. That's right. Yeah, that, he certainly was part of that. Um, and he noted something that we've seen on the streets as well, and that is that bodily autonomy uh, arguments seem to be on the rise in conversations. And Cam, I think there's a number of ways we can make this argument. Uh, one is this argument can be made in a very academic sense. Um, you know, your your, your ivory tower uh, arguments on the, the various facets of whether abortion should be okay or not. But what we're seeing on the streets, Cam, I know you have mentioned this to me, and I know we've heard this from other activists as well, is that the argument for bodily autonomy is not really being made in the academic sense um, where we usually, how we usually talk about it, but rather from a sort of terrified or confused or isolated self-defense uh, argument um, that really is being made from the depths of someone's humanity. And so um, I know you reflected a lot on this, so maybe help us understand where an argument like this would be coming from a lot when we hear it on the streets. Absolutely. And so I, the way that I've boiled it down in my mind is that so often it's not theory leading to behavior, but rather behavior desperately seeking for a theory that can justify that behavior. 
that it's a matter of people are terrified. They're in bad situations. They have no help. They have people pushing them in all sorts of directions, and they are desperately looking for a justification to be able to pursue an option that's going to be a great reset. And so they latch on to a bodily autonomy argument. Well, it's my body. It's my choice. I can do whatever I want. You can't judge me. You can't... Um, contradict me. You can't condemn anything that I'm doing because you don't know me. You don't know my scenario sort of thing. This is something that we're seeing more and more often. And I think that whether it's that argument, whether it's a, a justification because of difficult circumstances, whether it's even uh, an attempted justification because they're not fully human or something like that, it's always motivated by a desire for a particular behavior and then it's backtracking for what kind of a philosophy is necessary to allow or justify that behavior. And I think that that's a really, really interesting component to the conversations that we're having, because while so much of our energy focuses on addressing and at times dismantling the faulty philosophies, worldviews, and principles that people are using to justify the behavior, I feel like, especially personally, I have a difficult time remembering that this is motivated by the desire for the behavior. Why do people want a philosophy that will allow abortion and not why do people keep learning a philosophy and then leading them towards abortion? I feel like there's very few people who say, I would never have an abortion, and then they go into university and they academically change their mind and then they end up accessing abortion later on. I feel like many people find themselves in a terrible um, situation, find their friend in a bad situation, they have the abortion, and then the pursuit begins to be able to justify that decision that they made. So that's the context. And so when we look at it that way, this isn't a matter of, oh my goodness, you have adopted a brutal, selfish, self-serving, self-centered, whatever kind of philosophy, and that has led you towards doing all sorts of barbaric behaviors. I find that so many people look at abortion as the most selfish action imaginable, and yet for so many, it's not built on a philosophy, but rather the philosophy has been desperately constructed beneath them in an attempt to keep them out of whatever hellfire they perceive below them. And whatever is going on in their life, this is a desperate attempt to protect themselves from a dog-eat-dog -dog world sort of thing. And I that, that was a profound realization for me when when it came to the fact that these aren't inherently necessarily selfish people, but rather desperate people who end up adopting a philosophy to justify their decision that simply leads into more and more and more selfishness. The people feel driven towards selfishness, not drawn towards selfishness, I suppose. All right. So now that we understand that, Cam, um, and we, we hear an argument that uh, has to do with bodily autonomy and bodily rights. How can we practically shift the conversation? Mm -hmm. What are some of the, the principles that you might share to, to help us yeah, shift that conversation from the academic level to one where we're more reaching their heart? Yeah. So I, again, this isn't a matter of dropping academics entirely, but this this is kind of along the lines of a lot of people we, we hear so often, you just want to force women, you want to force women, you want to force women. And people see this and reduce the pro-life worldview so often to the equivalent of whether it's a legal or moral authority having a gun pointed towards them. They're staring down the barrel of a gun 
with a, it doesn't matter if you want the child or not, you have to have the baby or else kind of thing. A lot of people see it that way that my, my desires, my, my passions, my whatever are not taken into this at all. I'm simply looking down the barrel of a gun. And for a lot of people, especially people with that background and experience of having been forced into the corner, um, as we've talked about before, it's not incredibly productive for them to understand the pro-life worldview in that lens. And I liken it in some ways to conversations I've had with Christians around the practice and principle of tithing, right? For so many people, tithing is a, a principle that has been given to us by our Lord. And for a lot of us, it can be a simple matter of obedience. The Lord has called and commanded us towards dedicating 10% of our earnings towards the poor for the benefit of the poor. And we should tithe, not because we like it, but because we are called and commanded to do so. That's going to resonate with a lot of people. Obedience to God, especially for a lot of Christians, is something that they are striving towards. But for some people, whether it's because of their financial situation, situation, whether it's because of their upbringing, whether it's because they're new to Christianity and they're still grappling with the notion of obedience to God, that the notion of tithing can be really difficult to wrap their heads around. Why do I have to give 10% of my income to the poor? Am I looking down the barrel of a gun that God is holding to me of like, if you don't give 10%, then you're going to hell. That seems like a very very brutal kind of God, all this kind of thing. If people are getting wrapped up in that, then at times it can be appropriate to say, let's not think about this simply as a matter of obedience, but let's think about it from the other side. Let's think about what that 10% is doing. Let's talk about loving our neighbor as ourselves. Let's talk about the people in our world who have need. And let's change this from, I give 10% of my income going from I give 10% of my income because God tells me I have to, to I give 10% of my income or maybe even more because I desperately want to help the people around me. And God wants me to help people around me. Just It's, it's a different angle. And so when we ap apply that to the pro-life worldview, sometimes I switch it from you cannot have an abortion because I want to restrict what you can and can't do. You have to have the baby to what can you give and offer and how do we transform your mindset to an idea of generosity, self-sacrifice and self-giving rather than I'm giving birth because I have to. The notion of every child a wanted child, I think, is a beautiful idea that we absolutely should pursue. How do we transform the hearts and minds of mothers and fathers so that they do want to generously serve their children out of a self-sacrifice, not out of an obligation sort of angle? And so that's the pivot that I want to make in some of these conversations. And we can dive a little bit into what that looks like. Yeah, I also really want to hear what that looks like practically. And I, maybe you'll share the story um, that is behind this episode or some of the other ones, but Cam, maybe before we get to what that looks like practically, um, I, the theory is good. The theory is really helpful. I know the type of mind I have is one where, uh, you know, get, get to the practical because that, that's yeah. where, that's what helps me a lot more. Um, do you have any principles, just, you know, point form principles that you're, you're walking through here in your mind, um, when you're having conversations like this? Yeah. And, and so I think that on the one hand, we can have the goal in our conversation 
for an acceptance of the principles of the pro-life worldview, a, a worldview shift, all that sort of thing. But on the other end, I try to pick out what other goals could I have that could lead somebody effectively towards that first goal, but going about it in a different way. And I say, what if I focus on an agreement that most people who have abortions don't want to have abortions? They're having abortions because they don't see another option. They see this as their best option. Can we agree, first of all, that most people don't want to have abortions? And second of all, that we shouldn't be killing a child, especially if we don't even want to kill the child. We can have the conversation as to what do we do if somebody does want to kill a child later on. But for most people, they can agree that most people don't want to kill children. And because of that, they don't want to have abortions. Okay then let's work towards a world in which we're not doing things that we don't want to do. Seems like a, an easy principle. Another principle that I try to get at is that our world sucks in a lot of ways. Like there is a lot of pain and suffering. There's a lot of the rat race and dog eat dog and backstabbing. And there aren't enough people willing to make sacrifices. And a sacrifice isn't something of... Peter, I'm going to give you 10 bucks right now because I know that tomorrow I can demand that 10 bucks back from you. That, that isn't a sacrifice. The sacrifice is, Peter, I'm going to give you 10 bucks knowing that I may very well never receive that 10 bucks back. Right? That is a very minimal sacrifice for many people. But when we think about pregnancy, this is a massive sacrifice. And so people need the notion of small sacrifices before they start talking about massive sacrifices. They look at this world around them and they say, nobody has given me an inch. Nobody has lent me 10 bucks. How am I supposed to lend somebody else nine months of my life inside of my body and the rest of my life caring for them when nobody has even held the door open for me? Right? <laughs> the idea of sacrifice, if it's an all or nothing, either I completely abandon all of my hopes, dreams, and passions, when I've never seen even a micro aspect of that modeled in my life, getting them to understand the principle of sacrifices, really small sacrifices leading towards very large sacrifices will make the world a better place. So those are kind of the two major principles that I want to convey in my mind before I start applying this. All right. And then let's go to the practical. Let's um, yeah. maybe share a conversation that you've had or uh, some examples that you know of or conversations that you know others have had. Help me understand this for when I'm on the streets, when I'm having these conversations. Absolutely. And so there, there's been a ton of conversations that have gotten me thinking about this. But one super poignant one I had with um, one of our volunteers, Stephen. He's a phenomenal guy. We talked to a fellow about two weeks ago on a doorstep while we were door knocking. And he just kept coming back to, you can't actually expect somebody to carry through with pregnancy. Our world is so messed up. There is such little support. There's such little reason or ability for anybody to carry through with this that it's absolutely bonkers to expect anybody to like how could you compel somebody to make such a massive life change and i think that it, it was really good that that he was able to identify what pro-lifers often undersell pro-lifers were often like well it's only nine months after nine months then it's all different like no i'm sorry parenthood even if you're not in immediate care of that child is with you through the rest of your life and that's when i made the pivot 
And I said, you know what? I can agree that this is a brutal, brutal world that we're living in. And it can be daunting to consider even bringing more humans into this messed up world. But let's not talk about this from a legalistic standpoint. Let's not talk about abortion as something that you can't or can do. Let's talk about the kind of world we want to live in. He was like, okay, what do you mean by that? I said, okay, could we agree that there's very few people who are willing to help out the people around them, even in small ways, right? The idea of going and asking your neighbor for a cup of sugar, the idea of asking your neighbor to shovel your your sidewalk for you. I live in Calgary. There's a lot of um, sidewalk shuffling. The idea of asking for help. We, we got snow on Monday, um, like two days ago. So um, the idea of asking for help is is not even on people's radars because they're assuming that help won't be there. The assumption is, sure, I'll give you a cup of sugar. It's going to cost you two bucks. Or, yeah, my kid will shovel your sidewalk, but it's going to cost you 10 bucks a shoveling. That kind of thing. This idea of asking without cost is a completely foreign idea. And so I asked him, imagine that your neighbor was going through a tough time. They got laid off at work. And he needed some help. He needed help filling his tank. What do you mean filling his tank? Okay, well, he couldn't even fill his tank to go out and apply for jobs. Do you think that you could hit him up with 20 bucks to put a little bit of fuel in his car to help out? Yeah, yeah, obviously I, I would hit him 20 bucks. He's lived beside me for 10 years. Okay. And so little sacrifices could make the world a better place. Is that, is that fair to say? And he was like, yeah, little sacrifices, but that's a huge difference from big sacrifices like carrying through with pregnancy. And I said, okay, well, let's make this a little bit different then. Let's not have your wife become pregnant, but rather your neighbor becomes pregnant. And you're not going to look after everything. But what could you do? What would you be willing to commit to to help your neighbor navigate pregnancy? And he said, well, you know what, my, my wife loves to cook and like, we could probably look after a meal a week or maybe a couple of meals a week that we could drop off and help them out with. And I was like, okay, well, what about the neighbor on the other side? What do you think they'd be able to help out with? Oh, you know, they run a day home and maybe they'd be able to look after the other kids a couple days a week and maybe they give them a discounted rate or even do it for free. Okay, what about the person across the street? Would they be able to help out? Yeah, they could help out. They could help out. They could help out. We spent 15 minutes or so talking about all the different ways that we can help out the people around us. And then I put this in context of abortion. And I said, you know what? Let's not make this into a, the woman can't have an abortion because if she does, she's a terrible person. Let's make this into a, how do we make it more manageable for people who don't want to have abortions to not have abortions? And he said, okay, well, if we split it up, then we can care for it. But I can't look after every kid. My wife's not cooking for every pregnant mom in the city, let alone the country. And I said, no, that's not what I'm asking of you. I'm not asking you to be the only neighbor for every, some, um, every person who's fallen on hard times. What I'm saying is that if people like you, people like me, start making small sacrifices to the people around them, then maybe pregnancy isn't nearly as daunting. If you 
or your um, your wife or, or your friend or whomever became pregnant and they knew that they had an entire network of support behind them, do you think that would help them not choose abortion? And he said, yeah, I don't think anybody would choose abortion if that support was available, but I still don't think it should be made illegal. And so I honestly left the conversation on that point of, you know what, we can talk legality later. What we're here for is for ending the demand for abortion. I would rather live in a country where abortion was completely legal, but never practiced because nobody wanted or thought necessary to access abortion than a country in which it was legal, but people still seeking them out because they either didn't have the support that they needed or they didn't have the information that they needed to know that abortion was wrong. And so while it wasn't wasn't a complete conversion in the I agree with the principles and philosophy of the pro-life worldview, practically speaking, that fellow walked away saying abortions should not happen because people like you and I should offer better support to all of those mothers that we agreed upon didn't want to have abortions in the first place and therefore should never have to have an abortion that they don't want. I don't know if that makes sense. I hope that that's clear. That's not the 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 bread and butter. That's not the standard conversation. But I think it's important to think about that angle because when we're having a hard time having that kind of academic legalistic breakthrough on the principle of the pro-life worldview, it doesn't mean that we have to walk away from a conversation with no um, gains won. We can simply go in a different route with the end goal of how do I decrease the number of abortions? Can I get this person who thinks abortion should still be legal to dedicate time, energy, maybe even money towards the local pregnancy care center for the sake of the moms that don't want abortions but don't see any other option? Can you get somebody to advocate that before you go to the abortion um, facility, you go to the pregnancy care center to at least know what help is available? It's not a full win, but partial wins save lives. Full wins save lives, absolutely, but partial wins absolutely can save lives as well. And I think that we need to bear that in mind as we're having conversations. Perfect. Cam, one of the reasons I love this is because while we focus so much on the intellectual apologetics, if you will, and I know they're not just intellectual, the, the, the using common ground analogy in question is not meant to be an intellectual exercise, but one where we actually connect with people. But I think this is important because it helps us remember to to understand even more the situation that someone else might be in, the experiences that they might have had, which we know nothing about, um, and then work with them through some of the things that they share with you. As I wrap this up, sir, do you have any final comments that you'd like to make? Let's approach conversations at a human level, that, that humans have both heads and hearts. And I know that for a long time at CCBR, we have this idea of like hammer them with your head quote unquote, head arguments. And if none of those work, then I guess maybe transition over to a heart argument. Let's be in tune with how the conversation is unfolding. And let's have every conversation as both a head and heart conversation, because every conversation should be a human conversation. You are going to weave your more emotional arguments together with your more intellectual arguments. You're going to build them together because humans, thank God, have both emotion and intellect. 
Both of these are beautiful gifts given to us to help us make good decisions. Let's tap into both of them and let's connect on a human level and not just on a chalkboard at a university sort of thing. Let's connect um, face-to-face, heart-to-heart, on street corners and on doorsteps. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Uh, we are the Pro-Life Guys podcast. The the link, I can't remember what link, but it was a link. Oh, the link to the course that Kim is going to be doing in just a few weeks uh, is going to be in the show notes. So check that out. I also want to say a shout out to Conrad. Conrad's an intern. I forgot to mention this off the top. He's an intern uh, in Toronto and he called me a podcast king, which really elevated my sense of importance uh, on the podcast. But uh, thank you, Conrad, for listening. And thank you to all of our other listeners for tuning in as well. We're extremely grateful that uh, you find this information important, you find it helpful, and we're thankful to each and every one of you who is is taking this to your conversations in the workplace, at the school uh, that you attend, uh, maybe in your families, or maybe on the streets going door to door, having conversations with complete and random strangers. So thank you so much for being part of this fight. Don't forget to check out our merch shop. You can find some shirts, some mugs, some things like that. Uh, that you're able to not only support the podcast with and help us to reach more people and produce better content, but also to be a conversation starter with those around you. Um, The course is there, the books are there, including the one I have behind me here, Patriots, the untold story of Ireland's pro-life movement by our colleague, Jonathan Van Maren. It is, as the title suggests, suggests the untold story, now a told story of Ireland's pro-life movement. He did a lot of conversations with some of the leaders in that movement over the last 10, 15, 20 years, um, who have been in that movement for the last 10, 15, 20 years, talks about the Eighth Amendment, the rise and the fall of said amendment uh, just a few years ago, and so much more. It's one of my favorite books by Jonathan, if not my favorite. I like stories, Cam. I know seeing is believing why our culture must face the victims of abortion is very important. I've gone through it and I've referenced it on the podcast, but I'm a I'm a guy that likes reading stories and 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 compelling stories, ones that... Uh, really grab my attention and make it impossible to put the book down. Patriots is one of those books. Um, so do pick it up. Anything else? I'm sure there are other things. Check our website for, for more details. <laughs> Reach out to us with any thoughts and questions. I know one of you just reached out uh, on our Facebook um, message, message option uh, with a very, very, very long message that I have yet to dive through it in its entirety. Um, but I, I will I will try to do that. Uh, and get you a good response. But um, reach out to us, connect with us, follow us on your social media platforms, like us on, um, like and subscribe on your podcast catchers and on YouTube. And please don't forget to share this episode and some of the other ones that you enjoyed with your family, with your friends, with your loved ones, and maybe walk across the street, share it with your neighbor or whoever else you feel like sharing it with. My name is Peter. That's Cam. We are the Pro-Life Guys from the podcast. We're grateful for this time. Thank you so much. We'll tune in again. We hope you tune in again as we tune in again next time.